G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, let's open a conversation about the reasons why lots of Christian believers don't fulfill their goal to serve God according to a calling on their lives. Scary words in that, isn't there, when you start to think about a calling and whether or not you might have one. Well, there are some reasons why Christian believers get derailed or the wheels somehow or other come off our aspirations to serve our Creator. Well, one author and seminar speaker who's written 16 books, who's been looking at some of those reasons why those things keep coming up that keep hindering us from fulfilling God's call in our lives is Anne Hamilton. And as I say, has written lots of books, 16 of those with a Christian ministry focus. One of her latest books, part of a trilogy, is called God's Pageantry. A special welcome to you, Anne Hamilton. Good good afternoon, Neil. Thank you very much for that welcome. Well, Anne, I've said this is part of a trilogy, but in actual fact, uh, it's going to be part of a four-book series. What do you call a four-book series? I think you call it a quadrology. (laughs) (laughs) Though there are many different names for it, actually, so yeah. (laughs) And you're writing about things that people don't typically write about, Uh, and I suspect that the sort of audience that reads your books is interested in somehow or other a bit more of a forensic examination of some of those elements of Scripture. And let's talk about what you're writing about with this book we want to talk about today, God's Pageantry, because it's all about the calling on people's lives. How do you describe the calling that we perhaps all have? Well, I think that the calling that we all have is about what we're called. Um, I relate those two things. Our name is part of our destiny, part of our identity, part of what God wants for us. Anybody who has a name has both a calling and a destiny that God has prepared for them beforehand, before the creation of the world. This is Ephesians 2.10, in which God says, you know, we are his poetry. Um, It's usually translated handiwork or masterpiece, but in fact, it's a poem that he's writing about us. It's about what he calls us and about what he wants us to do in life. He's already told us through our name. I suspect there's a general calling in which all people are called, uh, called to come into relation with God. Uh, But I suspect then it gets more specific because some people have particular gifts and they are called by God for a particular purpose. That's exactly right. This is what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not the general callings that every Christian has to preach the gospel, to do things like that, but the specific call of God on their life, what he has called them to do as part of his kingdom advance, the, the, the perfect job that he's got lined up for you. You like to use a couple of words which we should take a little bit of time to unpack. 
uh, words like constriction and wasting. Now, they actually sound like tough words, harsh Mm. words, uh, words that really would be holding back someone from fulfilling some level of calling in their life. Uh, Why those words, constriction and wasting? When I first started to uh, write this book, all of my friends would ask me, what are you writing now? And uh, it was mostly a polite question that they asked, you know, because I've written so many books. Uh, And when I said, it's actually about the constriction and wasting that most people experience as they try to come into their calling. It was suddenly from that casual, polite, oh, you know, friendly, just I'm asking you because I'm trying to open a conversation with you, to intense interest and I've discovered that so many people resonate with those words constriction and wasting people I would never have suspected I would have thought you know you're in your calling you're doing what God wants you to do you're in that space but so many people said to me no actually what I feel is that every time I try to step into my calling There is some form of constriction. It can be financial constriction. It can be constriction of circumstances or health or just simply um, various things conspiring against people. And then there can be wasting, the, the investment of time or the investment of money, the investment of effort, and suddenly circumstances change and everything falls apart so that that open door people saw into their calling, they really felt God was opening it up and suddenly collapses in on them and they're left with really nothing. For some people, this is a matter of turning away from God if it happens too many times. I suspect for anyone who serves God in a ministry role or in a calling that they're called to do either something or something ongoing, that there is a sense of the need for participation in the sufferings of Christ. And therefore, you would assume that it might not always be an easy path to fulfill your calling. I mean, you might be thinking, oh, I feel called by God to do such and such, some great deed, uh, but with the thought that somehow or other that'll be an easy thing to do. Do you think sometimes we take it for granted that uh, it'll be an easy thing to, to fulfill a calling? I think a lot of people, when they see that open door, do think that. Um, and when the door slams shut on them, sometimes very traumatically, uh, it means that they really start to question uh, God in the circumstances. They really become disappointed in God. Um, and for me, I found that it was a place where I just say to myself things like, oh, maybe I didn't have enough faith or... Maybe I misunderstood God. Maybe I didn't hear him correctly. And eventually I came to a place where I went, actually, you know, it's not about faith because we only need faith as small as a mustard seed. And it's not about my faith anyway. It's about holding on to the faith of Jesus. And it's not about whether I can hear his voice because Scripture tells me I do hear his voice. And all of my excuses gradually fell apart and I was faced with the the why God. And I started to realize other people were in that same space of why God. You use a very important imagery as you were beginning to describe that, the idea of an open door. And there might be a door that you can see that's open, but actually walking through the door uh, is the idea of crossing a threshold. 
and you've put a little bit of time into studying what it is to cross a threshold with God in a calling. How do you describe uh, how that process works? That is just a beautiful image. It is, in fact, about crossing a threshold. And the interesting thing is that in Scripture there are two different words for threshold, which in English don't come across that there is a difference between these two words. Uh, one is kaph, K-A-P-H, and the other one is miftan, M-I-P-H-T-H-A-N. And in English, those are just simply translated as threshold. There's no differentiation between them. But one always refers to a defiled threshold. And once you realize that, the contradictions that seem to be in Scripture are no longer contradictions about thresholds, and you also realize what the issue is because miftan is derived from the name of a spirit. It is derived from pethan, the python. Okay, I've heard this in recent times as people have been talking about this sort of python spirit, the mm. idea of a constriction because, mm. you know, some snakes bite with poison, mm. uh, but others, like the python, they restrict. And there's actually a biblical connection to an understanding of this sort of python spirit. Absolutely. You first, uh, well, it seems to be that you first hear about it in um, Paul's, um, when he goes to Philippi. And he's confronted by the girl with the python spirit. Uh, often that's translated as a spirit of divination and that's part of its agenda to actually get you into a place where you don't rely on God but you actually rely upon some other f occult form of divination. And it's surprising the number of people, Christians, who when God seems to be silent around a threshold issue actually do f turn to forms of divination. Okay, well, it's an interesting conversation to have and one that could go a whole lot deeper. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. We are talking to Anne Hamilton. She has a new book out called God's Pageantry. And uh, there's some imagery in there which is really quite amazing because if we talk about having a calling from God, what are those things that are constricting us and causing us to waste in the way that we don't always have that opportunity to step up and into that calling in a significant way? We'll continue our conversation in just a short while. We're taking a little time to talk to author Anne Hamilton, who's been writing about a significant issue and one that we don't always get to talk about. And I guess because a lot of people are not thinking about the things that constrict us, the things that cause us to waste away when it comes to fulfilling a calling of God on our lives. Anne Hamilton has written 16 books, those typically with a Christian ministry focus, and one of her latest books is called God's Pageantry. It's the third book in a series of four, and it's all about this issue of crossing through a doorway, over a threshold, into what God's calling is for the individual life. And as we talk about crossing over a threshold, there's images that we can draw on from the Old Testament. Absolutely. In fact, the whole of the book of Judges, if we understand what that's about, is about different ways of looking at defiled thresholds. And it's God saying, fundamentally, don't do this. Um, we can see, for example, Samson in that famous episode where he picks up the gates of the city. 
uh, what happens is that he's there, he's um, with a prostitute, he wakes up at midnight, he realises that there are people who are about to kill him, they're waiting at the gates of the city. Now, why are they waiting at the gates of the city? They're waiting at the gates of the city because Samson, by entering the city, has undertaken a threshold covenant, and he's protected by that. When he leaves the city, he will no longer be protected, and so the people feel that they can kill him, right? So what does he do? He picks up the gates and he carries them away. So that picking up of the gates means that he is actually extending the boundaries of the city and extending the threshold so that he is protected by that covenant. There's all sorts of um, amazing threshold covenants. In fact, um, the, the one that I really like to look at is the contrast between Lot and Abraham because you can see one great covenant, a godly covenant, and one covenant that has gone completely wrong. Um, the great covenant is when God appears and he goes to Abraham and Abraham looks up. This is a few days after he's been circumcised and he goes, oh, I've guests coming. This is what the threshold covenant was originally all about. It was about hospitality and protection. So Abraham would be going, here are some guests coming. I will offer them hospitality and my protection. Now, that was a mutual thing. So the whole idea of threshold covenant is actually about having God as our covenant defender. And lot for lot, the same sort of thing happens, but it starts to go wrong. And it goes wrong because there are all these people outside who are not actually keeping that threshold covenant. And so they're trying to attack um, the guests that Lot has. But Lot is in a position where he has to defend his guests. So he defends them with his life and with his daughter's honour. So that's why he offers his daughter, because this was part of the expectation that you would do anything to defend your guest. And by by a similar token, the guests would do anything to defend you. So in this case, them being angels, they were able to do something absolutely fantastic for him. The biggest threshold covenant I can think of is where we think of Jesus, who said, I'm the gate. And this comes, of course, back to what we might appreciate uh, from the Passover, uh, where on the doors and the lintels of the house, the blood of Christ is there. And, of course, what we have here is a threshold. How do you talk about that sort of threshold? Because this is the one, the big covenant, the big blood covenant that we often talk about. Absolutely. This is the covenant gone perfectly right. This is exactly what would happen, that the Passover, according to the guy that I uh, have taken a lot of information from, Henry Clay Trumbull, who wrote about this at the end of the 19th century, he said that we've misunderstood what the Passover was all about, that that blood on the lintel and on the doorposts, which went down onto the threshold stone, um, and, and this threshold stone was incredibly important, um, and it dripped down there, 
it was all about the Passover of the blood as somebody stepped over that threshold stone. And so he believed that the blood was, as, 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 as is today throughout the, um, the Middle East, um, it's still the same ceremony. It's basically welcoming a guest. It's putting out a sign that says, welcome. Uh, the blood here tells you that I've killed the fatted calf or whatever to prepare a feast for you. They didn't put out the big banner that said, you know, welcome to our town or welcome to our village or welcome to our whatever. It was the sign of the blood. And so he basically said that it's about God's Passover into the house to become the covenant defender of the people within that house. And we can see all of that wonderful imagery when we contemplate what it is for a person to enter into salvation because they're God's guest. It's God's hospitality, his welcome, his salvation. When we're talking about being constricted uh, from our calling and thinking of thresholds uh, and people being held back and uh, and contained in their calling, how important is it to think of uh, getting across that threshold and then all of a sudden God is on your side to fulfill those things that he's called you to do? That's exactly right. The issue is if you can't get across that threshold, then there is a sense in which God is not completely your covenant defender. And you've got to actually look at the reasons why that that doesn't happen. Um, fundamentally, a covenant is not a contract. There is a difference between the two. Contract is about a bargain and exchange, and that truly is part of a covenant. But what distinguishes the two is that covenant is about oneness. So if you have a covenant coming down your family line, right? And you were talking the other day, I believe, with Craig Hill about generational things. If you have something coming down your family line that is a covenant with something else other than God, then you cannot be truly in that space where all of you is one with God. There are parts of your heart that, as Hebrews says, may still be defiled. And those parts are the things that need to be cleaned up. Those parts are the bits that you really need to look at and you go, I've got a problem. And the problem is defined by the constriction and wasting that I feel in my life. And I can feel it everywhere. And, you know, people say to me, how do you know whether you've got a defiled threshold or a godly one? And I go, by the fruit in your life. Simple as that. It's funny, you know, uh, as you're talking about those things, uh, and we think of the blood, the covenant, uh, and I'm thinking of the atonement. Mm. Uh, and when we talk about atonement, we are talking about the blood being shed. And as somebody who I was talking to of recent times, it was talking about atonement as meaning at one And there is a sense in which you're saying that you need to be at one with Christ to be able to pursue this calling that you have, to be able to go across that threshold, having that oneness, singleness of purpose, uh, oneness of being in the one family, uh, of not being distracted or constricted by all sorts of other things, but letting those things go and then pursuing your calling in a pure sense. Do you want to write the next book for me, Neil? Maybe we because could write it together. Because that's perfectly put. <laughs> 
And what a nice conversation to have uh, because oftentimes we don't get to get into the nitty-gritty of some of those issues and what they mean for us in a biblical sense and looking into, you know, with a bit of a forensic look at some of the deeper things that you can glean from those wonderful Old Testament scriptures. But thank you so much for talking to us today. And I'll point people to your book. Your book is called God's Pageantry. And if you are thinking, how do I get across that threshold? What are those things that are constricting? What's that other word, wasting, all about? Get a hold of this book called God's Pageantry. And the best way to get a hold of it is to look in Kurong. Kurong Books, you can check online and you can find Anne Hamilton, God's Pageantry, and check on the Kurong catalogue. And just wonderful talking. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today on 2020. My pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.